Hey guys, welcome to Library Overload. This is Tavia. And this is Susie. And thanks for listening. We're super excited to have you guys back. Don't forget to check out our website, which is libraryoverload.home.blog. And check us out on Instagram, which is just Library Overload. Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. And this is, um, it's Born a Crime, stories from a South African childhood. Guys, I thought this was just going to be a comedian's memoir, talking about his life. Well, I written down more quotes from this book than I have for in a really long time. Mm-hmm. Like, it was incredibly touching. It was beautiful. Powerful. Just incredibly moving and raw yeah and 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 funny and so matter of fact about horrible things right it was alarming and real and and like funny at the same time yeah and I, i really thought it was good and this is our buddy reed and this is one that Susie picked so you guys can chill out. She <laughs> she forced me to read this one. But I will have to say I didn't ha- hate it. I loved it. So the scale is still not looking good in my favor. <laughs> <laughs> so this is your final warning. There will be spoilers. Although I don't know how many spoilers there can be about a nonfiction book about someone's that is in the public eye. But <clears throat> Well, I had no idea who Trevor Noah was until you picked this book. Really? Yeah. Oh, I totally knew who he was because he's he's had so many awesome things to say about the political climate. And so I've I've known about him for a minute, but I I didn't know anything about him personally. Mm-hmm. And now he took over he has taken over from John Stewart as the host of the Daily Show. I think so, yeah. Or was yeah. it Stephen Colbert? No, no it was John Stewart. Stewart. So he's the host now of The Daily Show. And he's just really, really, really funny. Mm-hmm. But he was born during in South Africa during apartheid. Mm-hmm. So basically apartheid is, it's like a system of segregation or discrimination on the grounds of race. And it's like institutionalized racism. And that happened in South Africa from 1948 to 1990. So it and it it blows my mind because I had no idea about it. Right. I never learned about this in history books. I've never heard that term before. Mm-hmm. And it's infuriating mm-hmm. that something that horrific I had no idea about. Right. And I had I had heard about it but just as like a something that people have mentioned. Mm-hmm. But basically he and I are the same age almost mm-hmm. and Yeah, he's 31. Uh, I think he was born in 84 and I was born oh, okay. in 83, some, somewhere okay. along those lines. So basically, while I was growing up in my nice, sunny, happy childhood, and he was growing up like this, and these worlds existed at the same time as just... It's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling to think of. And, and you're right, we, we weren't taught this in school. Mm-mm. And I feel like we should have been. Absolutely. There's a there's a point in the book where he talks about having a friend named Hitler. And in South Africa, they're not taught history like we are. They were, uh, and when they are naming their children, they just pick a Western name just to have a name. Right, because names are very important for mm-hmm. them. So you have to have government white 
quote person white names Mm -hmm. and then they have their african names right and so he had a friend whose parents heard the name hitler and heard that it took so many forces to take down this person they're like well we're gonna have a strong son so we'll name him hitler Mm -hmm. and it's just talking about how they were taught that world war ii was bad the holocaust happened it was bad but they weren't taught the deep emotional they memorize the dates and the facts but nothing significant about it right and so and it was only it was only to keep them down Mm -hmm. and they weren't taught how to think they were Mm -hmm. taught what to think and it's I can't like I can't wrap my mind around it Mm -hmm. because when I when I go back and I think about my history classes there's a lot that I was not taught and I'm really frustrated about it Mm -hmm. but compared to what he was taught Mm -hmm. it's, it's nothing right Now, I also wrote down a quote that he had about apartheid that kind of tries to explain it to an American audience. He says, in America, you had the forced removal of the native onto reservations, coupled with slavery and then followed by segregation. Imagine all three of these things happening at the same time to the same group of people. And that was what apartheid was. It was blatant, institutionalized racism designed to keep the the black people down Mm -hmm. to a press them for generations to come what the most horrible thing is is in south africa that is a predominantly black country Mm -hmm. and they're saying like there was something like 15 percent white men and that's Mm -hmm. all it took Mm -hmm. to oppress them and it's i can't yeah i can't do it but coming back into the born a crime the title so basically it was illegal under the immorality act for a black woman and a white man to have sexual relations. Mm-hmm. But that's what his parents did, and that's how he came about. So technically, he was born as a crime. He was born a criminal. His mother took huge risks having him and then having him grow up and still be with her. Mm-hmm. He was, he said, a lot, most of his childhood he only remembers indoors because he couldn't just go outside and play like a normal child. Mm -hmm. He had to be hidden because he was, we call it mixed, but over there it's colored. Right. There's like a a couple of different classifications. So basically the, the white settlers that came in, they were the Afrikaners and then they intermingled with the natives at the time and they created a specific group of Mm -hmm. um, people called coloreds, but they're not what like we would consider mixed race. It's something separate. Mm -hmm. So, he was a mixed race person, but he didn't fall into black, white, or colored. Right. Because he was raised with his mother's family, who is black. And so he got along with them. He understood them. He understood the culture, loved it. But he was just mocha colored enough that he could get along with the white people. And they were fine with him because he wasn't scary looking or and he wasn't big. And so it was just he could fit in with everyone, but no one accepted him truly. Right. And so he talks about how he was very alone as a child because he didn't really fit in anywhere. Mm -hmm. He identified as black, but the the black people didn't necessarily accept him. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really powerful. And he also learned to speak a lot of different languages. He knows several. For that same reason, too, so that he could try to communicate with everyone, but he still didn't fit in anywhere. Right. So I guess we'll start from the beginning. We'll We'll start talking about his mother and how she is very, very religious. 
very religious. So when South Africa was colonized, of course, the white men brought their God and basically told people that this is their religion now. <laughs> this is this is what you'll do now. And I wrote down a quote of his and it was incredible. It says, if you're a Native American and you pray to wolves, you're a savage. If you're African and you pray to your ancestors, you're primitive. But when white people pray to a God that turns water into wine, well, that's just common sense. <laughs> I mean, it's not wrong. It's funny in the way that he explains it. But when you think about it, it's just like, why? Why are you telling people what they can and cannot do when religion is the most personal thing? Mm-hmm. It's it just it blows my mind. So his mother is deeply religious. They go to three different churches on Sunday. They don't. They are gone from sun up to sundown on Sundays. And she she had run away from home uh, as soon as she could. She she had a really rough upbringing mm-hmm. because her parents had actually been divorced, and she she didn't like to take authority. Or she didn't like authority, so she grew up with like a bunch of cousins and doing lots of hard labor, Mm -hmm. no education really. So she ran away to live in the city so she wouldn't have to live with her mother anymore. And Um, uh, the the city, she technically wasn't allowed to live there. So she lived in bathrooms and Mm -hmm. learned from the prostitutes how to survive as a black woman in the city that she wasn't allowed to live in right because they had taken basically and put the black people in townships or what we would think of like as a reservation which was outside the city Mm -hmm. as another means to keep them oppressed they would only have two ways in two ways out so if anything happened they could just bomb it and they wouldn't have to worry about it Mm -hmm. like legitimately that's how these cities were built so it's it's ridiculous but anyways so his mother found her way into living in the city figured way that she could use a white man and have him rent her a place so she stayed in an apartment or a home under their name so Mm -hmm. she wasn't so she wasn't found Mm -hmm. this is how she met trevor's dad Mm -hmm. they weren't very romantic they weren't i mean they dated a little bit and she really liked him but they weren't like in love with each other right they were never they were never married she just decided that she wanted i mean they were never gonna ever be allowed to be married right so she decided that she wanted a child and asked trevor's dad hey you want to help me out with this And one of my favorite quotes that um, she said, uh, Trevor's mother said to him, I chose to have you because I wanted something to love and something that would love me unconditionally. And then I gave birth to the most selfish piece of shit on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) His mom is a trip, y'all. She's really funny. I find her both wonderful and amazing and incredibly frustrating. My opinion on his mother is this this book to me seems like it's his love letter to his mom his thank you for being my rock for being this amazing force in my life but I kind of get the sense that she's the bad guy like she's incredibly selfish Mm -hmm. to think as a black woman the not just the baby that I want to bring into the world into this world Mm -hmm. I'm gonna bring a baby that's part black, that's part white, that's born a criminal. It's not like she accidentally got pregnant. She intentionally, deliberately chose to do this. Mm-hmm. And she set him up for a childhood of loneliness, a childhood of never fitting in, of never belonging. And she chose to do that on purpose. And for me, that seems just incredibly selfish. 
He goes on to describe his mother as someone that didn't follow rules, someone that when white people said that black people don't go here, that was the first thing she did. Mm-hmm. Or, but, at, but in the same sentence, he would go on and say how when she, under, she understood that he was not getting a good education, so she went out and bought every single book she could, got free books from churches, provided him with what he needed to survive and then on the other hand married a horrible person that beat up her and her children Mm -hmm. eventually tried to kill her like it's just she's an enigma to me Mm -hmm. because on one hand she's incredibly strong and And forward thinking yes and taught um, Trevor to and built him up to be this incredible man where in South African in that culture Men beat their wives, and it's just, well, what did you do to make him mad? Right. Like, at one point, they're talking about the stepdad, and he basically hits the mom continuously over and over and over again. And she calls the police, and the police are like, well, well, what did you do to upset him? And men do this. Like, you need to not make him mad. And, you know, they tell the man, well, you need to control your wife a little bit better so she'll stop calling us. So he says, by the time it escalated to the fact that the stepdad shot the mother there was no evidence there was no recourse because there was no evidence because they never filed any charges they never wrote anything down because they were like eh what are you gonna do men hit women it's just the way of life yeah and to this day that man has never spent a day in prison and he was in jail for just a little while while the trial was going on and he shot her in the head guys he shot her in the head yeah and he didn't serve any there was no justice for this because that's the world that they live in over there yeah It's infuriating. And talking about him, Trevor, almost kind of like in Eleanor and Park, Trevor had to, he learned how to be quiet. He never was in a room alone. Abel, that's his name. Mm -hmm. He was never in a room alone with Abel, the stepdad. He never, ever let Abel get in between him and a door Mm -hmm. after Abel beat him. And there's a quote that like hit my soul. And it said, if you think someone is a monster, but the whole world says they're a saint, you begin to think that you're the bad person. Yeah, it's very powerful because Abel would act like a perfectly wonderful person in public. He was the man that helped old ladies bring their groceries in and he would pull over if you were if your car was broken down on the side of the road, he would help. And so everyone knew that Abel was this great man and how dare you say such horrible things about mm-hmm. him and it I I completely I don't understand that type of abuse but I definitely understand when you're trying so hard to tell people that someone is awful but no one believes you because mm-hmm. they only know what they've seen yeah who that that quote killed it's like me a, a- quintessential narcissist Mm -hmm. they are mean to you and they're terrible to you and then they make you the bad guy yeah and just for trevor to come come out of that upbringing and be the kind of amazing person that he is today Mm -hmm. is unreal i i completely agree and i also wanted to go back and touch on um his name and yeah. the African name, basically, his mom gave him a name that meant nothing. Mm-hmm. Because in Africa, at the time in South Africa, your African name was like a, a, a 
destiny kind of almost Mm -hmm. like her name meant one who helps others and so she kind of spent her whole life doing that and she wanted to give him a blank slate so she went against tradition and and named him trevor which literally meant nothing and she's like be your own person Mm -hmm. and to contrast that with the person who brought him into this world in such a selfish way but then made him this amazingly strong person it's like i feel like you're two different people right i don't i don't understand you yeah and then her the the way that she was so religious to uh, to a fault truly like no one needs to be that rigid in their life how she was uh where one day they get up to go to church on a sunday and the car won't start she's like okay we're gonna take the bus and because of that she's they end up on this bus where the guys are basically driving them somewhere so they can rape his mother. Mm -hmm. And he starts out this chapter as talking about how you always see in movies, when someone is thrown from a car, they jump out of a car, they roll for a little bit, get up, dust themselves off, and they're good to go. I was nine years old the first time I was thrown out of a car. And that's not how it happened. And it's just like, oh my, how... How is this life real? Mm-hmm. Like his mother literally threw him out of the car, had a six month old baby in her arms, tucked herself around the baby, threw herself out of the car and they ended up being okay. Mm-hmm. But, and when he's like, mom, see, that was God's way of telling us that we didn't need to go to church today because the car wouldn't mm-hmm. start. And she was like, nope, it's fine. She's, they are arguing. Um, He says he figured out a way to argue scripture with her. Like he's like maybe this is god telling us we shouldn't go and she's like or it's god saying we should persevere and the reward will be greater and he's like or it's god giving us this you know like or when he gets sick he's like god gave us medicine i'm um, and god is all knowing and she's like no you should be able to pray the sickness away god will heal you if you're if you're faithful enough and he's like or god gave us medicine to you know and then they go and, back and forth and argue and at the very the whole end time. after she's been shot trevor has worked himself up into a position where he can afford to pay her hospital bill so they go to the hospital and they're waiting and the nurse comes out and, and she's like are you the family uh we've just found out that she does not have insurance and we cannot go ahead with these services because she doesn't have insurance and trevor's like my mom was shot in the head fix her i'll pay anything you want and she's like you don't understand sir it's gonna be very expensive he's like i'm holding a credit card fix my mom and she's like no it could be thousands he's like fix my mom and at the very end of that when she comes to he's like she's talking about jesus saving her and all of that and he's like mom don't you think the insurance could have helped too? And she's like, no, I have insurance. Jesus. And yeah. and Trevor's like, no, what is Jesus going to do about the bill? And she's like, and that's why God gave me a son that could pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her, her religion kind of does come to a fault in many scenarios, but she definitely never wavers. That's the truth. Mm. Um, but his ability to tell his story that's kind of really tragic mm-hmm. with this hilarious background mm-hmm. of just little snippets like <laughs> the incident where he goes to the bathroom in the oh house God. is the funniest thing ever. So he's in the township with his there. grandmother and there's no indoor plumbing. So there's the, the outhouse and he hates the outhouse, which there's, there's I can flies. relate. Yeah, he said there's flies and he was always scared of the flies. Yes. So he thinks that everyone's out of the house and he's like, well, I'm just going to go to the bathroom like a dog. 
on the newspaper. And it'll be fine. <laughs> but he forgets that his great-grandmother, who was blind, is in the house. And she can hear him and smell him go into the bathroom. <laughs> and she thinks, obviously, a demon has come into the house. Obviously. So once the grandmother and the mom come back, they sniff out the incident and they light it on fire and perform like this exorcism. Out in the driveway. So everyone in the neighborhood is like, what's happening? They're like, we're praying away the demon. Because clearly only a demon could have put <laughs> this thing in the house. You can say it. It's poo. It's poo. So clearly only a demon could have pooped in the house. <laughs> and so they are burning it and they're out there. And so the grandmother says that child prayers are more powerful so she has trevor praying no she says that his english prayers are more powerful because the english get more of what they want yes so obviously <laughs> he right. needs to pray and he was he said he was oh praying gosh, he was, was like so funny he was like god please help us or maybe this was a mistake i don't know like right. maybe the person who did this didn't mean for it to be this kind of a thing <laughs> But perhaps he's really sorry, but could you just help us? <laughs> and he's like, how do I pray for you to get rid of the thing that brought the poop when it was me? <laughs> it was hysterical. So he's got stories like that mixed in with this really tragic childhood that make it just yeah. funny enough where you're not like, you know, banging your head against the wall. But yeah. it is very, it's very intense. And as he's going to, going throughout his life and, and building his thing, he says, we tell people to follow their dreams, but you can only dream from what you can imagine. So he's talking about the people in the ghetto. They can't imagine mm -hmm. a better life than than what they're in they can't what imagine they yeah anything greater and it's ugh, it's very powerful yeah it just it it takes what you you thought you knew about oppression and turns it on its head mm -hmm. like it's it's truly nothing that i have that i have known and it blows my mind that when i was growing up in my wonderful grandparents house and everything was great with them he was living a world that i could never imagine mm -hmm. And it's, it's, mm, it's powerful My husband stuff. says you're tempered in a different fire, like mm -hmm. in a, a different temperature. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that that's absolutely the truth yeah. um, in something like this. And then one more quote that I loved at this. If we could see one another's pain and empathize with one another, it would never be worth it for us to commit the crimes in the first place. And that quote came from a thing where he's talking about basically in the ghetto, you were criminals. Like you committed DVD pirating and, you know, you found things and sold them. Stuff like that. But one time he comes across a camera that has pictures and he's like, oh, this is someone's camera that I'm selling. And he had never put two and two together of like things that he knew like technically, yeah, it's a crime, but it's so insignificant. It doesn't matter. But finally he had proof of what he was doing to mm -hmm. someone and it was just kind of eye-opening and he never could sell the camera because mm -hmm. it, it held someone's life in it mm -hmm. and it, yeah that was so and he thinks you know you think you're just doing what you have to do to get by like the mom who's buying the food that was stolen from the grocery store could, to feed her kids she's just trying to get by she's not thinking this is a crime i'm i'm buying stolen food mm -hmm. and he says that's basically the way that it is and there's mm -hmm. no getting out of this this cycle of stuff but it, uh, 
I, there's just so many things, so many thoughts. One of my favorite kind of eye-opening things was when um, he speaks about the different levels of poor food. And one of the levels was bone marrow. And mom would go to the butcher shop and buy the bones that they were really selling for people to give to dogs. Mm -hmm. And she would make bone soup out of them. And Trevor learned from a very young age how to scoop every last bit of marrow out of them to make sure that he got everything he could. Mm -hmm. And he said many, many years later when he was wealthy and went to a Michelin star restaurant, went in and someone said, you have to try the bone marrow here. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And he was like, what? He's like, that's just dog bones. That is poor people food. <laughs> he and said, I was not impressed. Yeah. It's just, and then he, another time they were so, so poor that they had to eat caterpillars. And he was like, this is not snails with a fancy name on it. So the rich will eat it. He was like, no, this is disgusting, goopy caterpillars. Mm -hmm. And we had to eat them because it was that or starve. But I, what this book didn't touch on that I would like to have seen is how he made it from the ghetto to the comedy world. Like it, it yes. kind of skips over how he became famous. Like he started out as a DJ. Well, he started out selling pirated music. Mm -hmm. And then from that, he ended up being a DJ. And then from that, he transitioned into performing shows in comedy somehow. But no one knows how. But we that's not yeah. touched on in the book. So like you see the moment. So he's DJing a party and a cop comes up and tells him to shut the music down. The party's over. And, you know, Windows 98 isn't going to move fast. And he's mm -hmm. trying to shut things down. But the cop gets pissed off that he's taking his time and shoots his computer monitor, mm -hmm. which Has kills his hard drive. So he loses years mm -hmm. of all the music that he's cataloged. So mm -hmm. he can't. So he can no longer be a DJ. But from that point on, we don't see anything else that happens with mm -hmm. his career. We just know that... By the time his mom gets shot, he has enough money to be able to pay for her hospital bills. Mm -hmm. And he's no longer living with his mom. Right. Yeah. That really bothered me, too, because I kept waiting to see, like, how the hell did he get himself out of this? Mm -hmm. And you don't know. And yeah. it's, yeah, that kind of bothered me a little bit. But maybe that'll be his next book. Like, because I truly, truly hope he writes another one. Mm -hmm. I would read it. Um, I've very, very much enjoyed the insight into this book mm -hmm. um, or the insight into the world that this book provided. Yes. This wasn't in the book, but after I finished it, I just kind of looked him up and just to see all the incredible, insightful quotes that he has, because there are a ton. And one of them, I'm, I didn't write it down, so I'm going to butcher the way he said it. But he was like, racists in America are nothing. I have seen real racism. You throw a word at me, that's nothing. Where's your tear gas? Where's your bullets? Talk to me later. And it was just yeah. like, this man has seen everything you can't imagine. Mm -hmm. and, and so it just shows the true power and the just the spine of steel that he has that he's come out of this and he's still able to joke and be happy mm -hmm. and enjoy life right he didn't become a victim of the yeah. system he didn't allow his upbringing and his background to mm -hmm. lead him in a different direction he was also given a significant amount of different choices than a lot of people his age in that mm -hmm. area which goes back to his mom mm -hmm. like she did great things for him 
But then she did terrible things that affected him. Right. I One of the funnier incidents I thought was he ends up getting arrested at one oh, point. God. And he would rather spend his time in jail than have the jail call his mom and tell her he got arrested. Because she straight up told him, if you ever get arrested, I am not bailing you out. She's like, I'm going to let you learn your lesson. But apparently the black and the color people in South Africa get arrested a significant amount. Mm-hmm. And there's no due process. There's no... You know, it's basically, we think you're guilty. You're going to yeah. go to jail. Which is not too much different. <laughs> well, you know. But no, it's, yeah. And so he he's in jail for like a week waiting for his trial. He's He called a friend to get to borrow money from his dad so he could get a lawyer. And so finally he's out. Like, it's fine. He doesn't have to go to prison. He comes home, comes to mom, acts like nothing happens. And all of a sudden his mom was like, you think I didn't know? She's like, who do you think paid for all this? You think that your friend paid for it out of the goodness of his heart? I'm sure his heart just like fell out Mm -hmm. (laughs) because he talked about just the epic beatings that his mother put him through. Yes. He said that him and his mom would win field day, but she wasn't actually a participant in it. Like he (laughs) would win for the kids and she would win for the adults because he didn't want to get beat. So he would take off running and she would chase him down and like, she would eventually when they were in a crowded area she would yell thief so people would catch him <laughs> and just so he could beat him and he's like i'm not a thief i'm your son i'm her son and that's the kind of crazy relationship they had but again at the same time this is the same woman that raised this incredibly respectful insightful humble mm-hmm. brilliant man mm-hmm. so For me, this book was a lot about trying to reconcile the two versions of his mom that are presented in this book. Yeah. Um, It's really crazy. When he was younger, you know, he had lived inside for years. When he would go out with his, both his mom and his dad, he couldn't call his father dad. And they had to walk in separate areas. Sometimes they would have um, a different woman come and pretend to be his mother. So his mom, who was black, wouldn't be seen Mm -hmm. with a colored child. And years after that he met another colored kid and he was like where have you been why why didn't i why haven't i seen you before and he's like oh well my family moved away he's like that was an option and so he goes back to his mom and he's like why would you put me through this why would you do this and she's like this is my home why would i move Mm -hmm. and it's just kind of like okay on the one hand yes i understand that you're trying to stand up for something and i get it but at the same time There are other options. You don't always have to fight when it's going to be when the repercussions are could possibly be detrimental to your children. Mm -hmm. Like there's it's different when you're fighting for yourself than when what you're fighting for is going to hurt your child. Her version of fighting the system was to give birth to a mixed race child. But that's no longer you fighting this system. That's your directly affecting this child's life because at times he couldn't even be seen walking on the street with his mom mm-hmm. because she was too dark and he was too light and they thought that they didn't match so like right. thought this woman had snatched a kid or something and it's just baffling yeah the craziness that was apartheid in south africa in i guess m- me not realizing that that went on to that extent or the ramifications of what's still going on today mm-hmm. because of that yeah it's, it's kind of crazy yeah i went into this thinking like i went into this book knowing that he was born to a mixed race couple and that was illegal there but that's literally all i knew i didn't know what all i would learn 
And it was because you can't call this book heavy because it's not. It discusses heavy things in a way that makes you feel okay with it. Mm-hmm. But like you know, I'm I just finished this yesterday, and I'm still just like Jesus Christ. This is this is a thing that was happening mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Like I don't I I can't comprehend. I can't mm-hmm. wrap my mind around a life that's so different. And I'm sure you're feeling like that when the book that we po- talked about last episode, Malala, yes. and how different and I, it is. I read Malala and Trevor's story very close together. Mm-hmm. And it just put me in this crazy place of like, I mean, I don't even have words Mm -hmm. for the way I feel about both of these books, just the way that they make you feel like I I talked about Malala books that just change your views on the way that you look at the world, like the world, Mm -hmm. you could no longer look at it with the same eyes. Yeah. And that's kind of what this did to me as well. But it was also just so funny, like where Malala was nothing but really heavy. This was hysterical hysterically funny Mm -hmm. and he kind of made not necessarily made light of the situation but he gave you enough information that you understood what was happening Mm -hmm. and understood how he became who he is and it was kind of cool before every chapter there would be like a tiny a paragraph or two of a history lesson Mm -hmm. so you that would kind of like coincide with the chapter that he was about to share Mm -hmm. And so you got like a history lesson every other chapter. And I loved that. I, I thought it was so interesting. And it just, it blows my mind that I had not, I, I knew nothing about it. Mm-hmm. I had, when I read the word apartheid, I had to ask you how to pronounce it because yeah. I, I had never seen that word before ever. And that makes me very sad for the American education system because yes, this is something that happened in South Africa, But we absolutely should know about it. We should know about these things that happen all over the world. Always. Because you need to know if something's going to happen like that, you need to know how to prevent it. With the political climate that we're in, racism being at an all-time high, Mm -hmm. we we need to know these things. We need to know so we don't become like that. One of my favorite quotes was from his dad. And he was asked, like, you know, why did you end up wanting to have a kid with a black lady? And and he's like, well, racism is dumb. They came to Africa and were mad that black people were here. <laughs> he's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. But it, it's what happened. He was so matter of fact about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like that's legit. Just yeah. And that blew my mind, too, because when when I first learned about apartheid, I was like, but but South Africa is a, a black country. I don't. I don't understand. And it's it the British kinda, man, the British. <laughs> well, it also kind of goes back to slavery in America. There were far more slaves than the mm-hmm. white assholes that owned them. Mm-hmm. But the oppression was so great. It was. And so indoctrinated. Yeah. That there was nothing to be done. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, ugh. It was it was a heavy, heavy book that didn't feel heavy until I was done with mm-hmm. it. And now I'm just like, I don't know what to do now. I know. I, I, I love this book. I gave it four stars. I gave it four, too, simply because so I feel like it was missing mm-hmm. a, a huge part of his life. But I feel like this was really more about his childhood and growing up. Right. And I briefly touched on that. I think... This was a love letter to his mother. This was his thank you to his mother for making him who he is. Mm -hmm. So 
it always tied into things about what his mom did or how his mom shaped him in this mm-hmm. way or how his mom shaped him in that way. And so I think that this was about his childhood and about his mom. Mm-hmm. Every, every single incident and every single page, you could see the hands of his mom in it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's what this specifically was about. Yeah, it definitely, like reading it, you know how like you'll see, you'll think of things that your parents did or you've seen parents do and you'll be like, I want to be a parent like that or I will never do that. Like it get def- it gave you both things that you would absolutely want to do for your children and things that you would never, ever, ever want to do <laughs> to your children. Right. So it, it, yeah, I don't, I, I cannot form an opinion about her because I don't know. I feel like there were two, just two different versions of her. I also feel like too, this is a completely different world, a different country, a different realm that we will never understand as right. privileged white women. Mm-hmm. Like I, so I, I guess when it came down to if I had to say something about her, I feel like she did the absolute best she could possibly do in the world that she lived in. I also think that she was brave and strong. Yeah. So yeah, I don't... Crazy at times. But absolutely. definitely brave and strong. And Trevor Noah is hysterical. I mean, he has several comedy shows on Netflix that I want to go back want, and watch. I want to watch. One of his most recent one is Son of Patricia, which mm-hmm. is his mom's name. And right. so I'm, I'm very interested to watch it. Mm-hmm. Me too. But that was our take on Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I certainly did. Did you, Tavia? <laughs> I enjoyed this one. So we'll make like an official chart and tally mark of books that we've read together and um, <laughs> who enjoys what. We'll have um, like a, an official chart drawn up. I would prefer that. Thank you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.